0: Over the past few weeks, we've had the pleasure of hearing from from members of our congregation. They gave us many powerful sermons. The first week, we heard Angie talk about having a repentant heart. Jeremiah talked to you about personal evangelism and all the excuses we like to tell ourselves for not talking about Jesus. And last week, Tony and Becky shared seven myths about marriage. This week, I'm going to talk to you about family discipleship, parenting, or grandparenting, whatever stage of life you're in, and leading our children to Jesus. However, before I get started, I want to make a disclaimer that everything I say is as much for me personally as it is for any of you in the audience. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles or YouVersion app, um, open to Joshua chapter 24, and we'll spend most of our time in verses 14 through 24. So, while you're doing that, I'm going to set the scene a little bit about what's going on. The year is 1375 B.C. Joshua is leading the Israelites. Moses has already led them out of Egypt. The Red Sea has been parted. Manna has fallen from heaven, and they've seen Jericho fall as well. They've also seen the sun stand still, and kingdom after kingdom be conquered. And then, in Joshua 24... He gives an impassioned address to the Israelites, and we'll pick it up at Joshua 24 14. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served in the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river. Or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered him, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples... Through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So after that, Joshua again asked them if they're sure they wish to follow the Lord, because he knows what a challenge it'll be for them to keep that. And in verse 21, the Israelites say again, We will serve the Lord. So that day a covenant was made. And like we see over and over in the Old Testament, all is good for a while. Now turn your pages or turn your a few pages in your Bible to Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. It's a year later, 1374 BC. And Joshua has just passed away. And starting in verse 10, it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in sight of the Lord, and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went after other gods from among the peop- gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them so what we're going to talk about today is how is it possible to go from what some theologians call the greatest generation to a generation that didn't even know God in such a short amount of time i'd argue that they lost sight of the te- of teaching their children about the lord and they lost sight of family discipleship Dr. Chip Bennett of Grace Community Church in Florida is quoted as saying, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. That means if the church is not reaching the next generation, we're always one generation away from extinction. Parents, your children are being constantly discipled by something. Discipleship and discipling is a fancy church word that we we like to think is, is... hard to understand, but it's not. The Discipling simply means the act of making someone a follower of something. Parents, if we don't disciple our children, the world will. According to researchers, between 70 and 88% of Christian teens are leaving the church by their second year in college. Nearly three out of every five young Christians disconnect from church life either permanently or for a long period of time after the age of 15. And less than half of millennials identify as Christian. And of those, only 35% said they attend church at least twice a month. The most important job that we have as parents is to train and disciple our children so that our children do not end up like the the. Generation, and Judges too. Through this sermon, I'm going to make three points. The first point is that family discipleship cannot happen without us as parents first loving God. So I like to watch the show Undercover Boss. For those who haven't had the chance of watching it, the basic premise is the CEO of a company or the CFO or whatever combination of fancy letters goes undercover as one of their employees. Nine times out of 10, the CEO of that company, who goes over undercover at a fast food restaurant or manufacturing plant, whatever that business is, they're a complete failure at their job. This gives them a newfound respect for what their employees go through on a day-to-day basis. They find out they don't have the skills necessary for the job. They may be the world's best CEO, but they are a horrible line cook. However, what most figure out is their employees are not as on board with the company's mission as what they thought they were. Many find out that they weren't really, weren't really communicating to their employees as well as they thought they were, and their employees may hold on to disgruntled feelings because they get a do as I say, not as I do attitude from the top of the company. They may even find out that there's not a lot of respect for the CEO. Parents, we're kind of like the CEOs of our families. You know, I threw out some scary statistics earlier, and you may be sitting there thinking, not my kids, not my family. But what would happen if you went undercover in your family for a day or two? You may find out that your children are not as on board with the mission of the church or the mission of your family as you thought they were. So this morning, I ask you to examine your heart, are you doing the same thing as that CEO? Are you cultivating a do as I say, not as I do attitude within your own family? And more so than that, we know that our children learn through modeling. There is a time in every, every kid's life when they're young, when their mom and dads are their heroes. Their mommy is greater than Wonder Woman, and their daddy is stronger than Superman. Believe it or not, they want to be just like us. This goes for good and the bad. I'm going to give you an example of bad first. When I'm driving, believe it or not, there are times when I'm not sharing the love of Christ with my fellow motorists on the road. (laughs) There was one time I was driving with my kids in the car. We were on the interstate, and we were going up a hill, and we had gotten behind a semi-truck, and he must have been fully loaded because, bless his heart, he was doing everything he could to get up that hill. We ended up going about 45, and you know, the speed limit is 70, and that's just a suggestion. <laughs> so I'm looking for every opportunity to get around them. I look in my left mirror, and there's a car right there, right beside me going 45 as well. So I'm boxed in. There's no way I can get around. Out of my mouth at that point came a few choice words that I'm not going to repeat from up here. I knew it was wrong, but to add insult to injury, out of the back seat came those same words repeated in just a little voice. It's things like this that remind me that my children are looking up to me and I have a high standard to meet. I knew what I did was wrong in that time, but let me tell you, when I heard that little voice repeat those words, I felt about this big. But thankfully for us, it's not always the mistakes we make that our children will model. We saw a good example this morning with Chris and his daughters up here leading us in worship. Chris, great job. So I have the opportunity to, to help teach the first grade class down, downstairs and Up Street. One day as we were opening our Bibles to that week's lesson, and as usual with first graders, they're, they're either learning to read or, or they've, they've kind of started reading. But telling them to open their Bibles to Deuteronomy or Ecclesiastes just doesn't work. I mean, myself, Ahmed, I have trouble. Um, so my wife and I are spending our time going around making sure all the children are open to the correct book, correct verse, everything like that. I get around to one young man and he's already got it open. And he's already at the correct verse. And I tell him how proud I am of him, and how amazed I am that he was able to do that all on his own. His response back to me was I like to read my bible because I see my dad read his every day. Let me tell you that hit me hard cuz I don't know that my kids could say that. But great job dad. One of my favorite childhood memories growing up was going to church with my grandpa and grandma stall. I wasn't very old, maybe 9 or 10 at the time, but I still remember sitting there in the pew with my parents, my siblings, my grandparents. We'd pull out that old hymnal and sing along with the choir. I saw the way my grandpa worshiped the Lord. I saw the way my mother gave of her time to to sing in the choir. I saw my dad pull out money and put in the offering plate. Even today, thinking about it brings me back to that church. I can smell the smell of the old building the old Bibles and old hymnals. I can picture the light coming through the stained glass window. I can hear everyone singing along with the choir director, and it it may have been off-key, but it was one joyous noise. But my favorite part was that after church, it was tradition that we would go back to my grandparents' house and have a meal together as a family. It wasn't anything fancy. It was usually a sack of cheeseburgers from McDonald's, or Captain D's, or something like that. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. It set the stage on, on how I view church as an adolescent and into my adult years. And now as a father, I aim to model that same behavior that was shown to me by my grandpa and, and, and dad that to my children. In his book, Family Driven Faith, Vodi Bauckham writes we cannot expect our children to rise above our example. If my kids don't see me spending time in God's word, they probably won't. If they see me using inappropriate language or involved in coarse jesting, they'll probably follow suit. If they see me scream at their mother and treat her with contempt, they will probably disrespect her as well. We can try to teach them to do as we say and not as we do, but our words can only go so far if they are contradicted by our actions. Furthermore, in, in the Bible, Paul summarizes this in, in one sentence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So in order to follow the example of Christ as parents, we must first love him. To do otherwise would be creating a do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do attitude within our own homes. Point number two, we have to make church a priority. Many parenting experts like to say that the toddler years are the hardest. These are the years when your child is exploring the world around them and they are into everything. And I don't know about you, but Christmas time with toddlers is the most stressful time of the year. And we love Christmas in my family. We're the people who have our Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving. We're those people. And for those of you that don't know, my wife and I were blessed by the miracle of adoption. We adopted our oldest, older three. Most parents go through their newborn years and, and work up to the toddler years, and they get some parenting experience under their belt. That first Christmas, we jumped headfirst into parenting toddlers. We had a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and I remember it. We were so excited to decorate that Christmas tree and see the excitement on our boys' faces so that you would we put up our tree as soon as possible. What we soon found out though, was that that beautiful shiny tree was a magnet for our boys. In their childlike curiosity, they just couldn't leave it alone. We turn our backs and without fail, one of the boys was in the tree and there were ornaments and decorations everywhere. We soon found out that it helped if we put a fence around the tree. One of the boys would go for the the tree, but there would be that fence in their way. And it wasn't perfect because my boys are very headstrong, so they would try to climb it or knock it down to get to that tree. But what it gave us was a few moments between curiosity and destruction. And we were able to redirect to something more appropriate in that short amount of time. Parents, this church can be the fence in your child's spiritual life. It's far from perfect, no church is perfect but it can give us the few precious moments between going off track and utter destruction for our kids. Surround your children with the positive influences of this church. Let your leaders of this church pour into those kids' lives. Foster relationships with other parents and have their friends or their kids befriend your kids. In other words, surround your children with those that will point them to God instead of the world. Let these people be there as a resource. Let's face it. Our kids may not always feel comfortable coming to us with every situation they're dealing with in life. That's why I'm so thankful for people like Dave Medley. My oldest son attends Summit, and Dave is a small group leader. I've had the privilege of seeing Dave pour into my son's life and the lives of many young men. My son knows because I've told him that if there's something that he doesn't feel comfortable coming to me with, he can always go to Dave and talk openly. Because I know and trust Dave, I know that Dave will be there to give solid Christian advice when I'm not able to. And I also know that Dave will be the first to let me know if my son's going off track and what we can do to get him back on. So having and fostering that relationship gives me peace of mind that Dave can be my fence between my, my son's bad choices and destruction. Related to this, I'm going to say something now that many of you won't like to hear. We are very good at prioritizing a lot of things over church. I'm guilty too. Life gets in the way, and our desires for our children to excel at worldly things get in the way. To borrow from one of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, and from his Revelation series that he did, He goes on to to explain what is to blame for our children choosing not to follow Christ. And to paraphrase him, he says that Democrats aren't to blame. Republicans aren't to blame. Even the media isn't to blame. We are so good at passing the blame, but what is to blame may surprise you. Soccer is to blame. Football is to blame. Baseball is to blame. And even our children's education is to blame. As parents, we want the best for our children. We have dreams for them. And this may sound harsh, but it it doesn't matter how good your child is at t-ball, the chances of them making professionally from t-ball, very slim. Getting straight A's in school is awesome. It's an amazing achievement. But getting straight A's in elementary school, very unlikely to be the reason your child gets into Harvard. In the end, none of these things matter. What does matter and will always matter all of their life is Jesus Christ. And as parents, it's our responsibility and it rests on us to lead them, to show them the way. Anytime we prioritize sports over church, we are choosing to show our children that baseball is more important than Jesus. Anytime we prioritize school science fairs over church, we are choosing to show our children that school functions are more important than Jesus. Pastor Bakham, I've quoted him once, but you can tell he's one of my favorites, says, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a, as a father. So parents, we must ask ourselves, is this what we're doing? And this goes for us too. It's much easier for our children to understand why they have to miss church if they see mom and dad have to miss their other things, too, to go to church. This means that there's no catching up on work on Sunday mornings for me. There's no missing church to watch a football game or sleeping in because I stayed up too late Saturday night to watch the latest UFC fight or whatever was on. So I have to put my money where my mouth is. And this is one of those areas, like I told you, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else. But as a side note to that, it's important to remember that the first and foremost person to lead your child to Christ is you. Scott and his, de- his team do an amazing job with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. But he gets to disciple them for an hour a week. Gretchen, Katie, and their team do an outstanding job with our young children but they see them for at most an hour on Sunday morning and an hour on Wednesday evening. There are 168 hours in a week. They see your kids for a couple of them. You have the responsibility of discipling them for the rest of it. Because when it's all said and done, it is my wife and I who stand there and have the responsibility in front of the Lord for our children. And that brings me to my next point. Family discipleship, it's not a set time. It's all the time. So kids are naturally curious. And parents, if your kids are like mine, they come up with a long list of questions right at bedtime. That's the, mind when they're, that's the time when their little minds are turned in, they're coming up with all kinds of crazy questions. One of my children has a rotating list of obsessions. Right now, that obsession is dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. One night, we were doing our usual bedtime routine, and out of his mouth popped a question I had been anticipating. Daddy, did God make dinosaurs? That question turned into a conversation about how the book of Genesis tells us that God made everything all around us, the heavens and the earth. And in that everything, I believe dinosaurs are included. Parents, don't be afraid to answer these questions because from that one question came a lot of learning about the creation, the fall, the flood, and ultimately Jesus. And I know this sounds intimidating. We like to outsource to those that we think know more than us. One of the main excuses I hear out there is, I don't know my Bible as well as Tony does. I am not a great speaker as Scott. And I can't tell Bible stories like Gretchen does. I encourage you not to fall in that mindset. A great friend of mine once told me that when he was a teacher, he found out that he didn't know everything. He quickly found out that all he had to do was stay one lesson ahead of the kids he was teaching. And there's good news for you. The good news is you have all the tools in your hand to stay one lesson ahead of your kids. In this book, all you need to do is open it and listen. Another trap that parents fall into is thinking that they need to set aside a time for family Bible study or worship. This has never worked for my family. We, it never fails. We set aside a time and, and something comes up and we do it one week and then before we know it, three months down the road, we completely forgot about it. If it works for you, that's awesome. That's awesome. But if you ever get the chance, I highly encourage you to attend one of Gretchen and her team's Celebrate Family Nights. She goes a lot more in-depth with this than I am right now. But family discipleship is an all-day, everyday affair. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 says, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart "'and with all your soul and with all your might.'" And these words that I commend to you you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Folks, this is not a new concept. If you make your life about Christ, you will naturally do these things. When you're in the car, turn on K-Love, or Walk FM, or Praise FM. All of a sudden, you have family worship time in the car. When you're at dinner, and I highly encourage you to make family dinners our priority, on the one sheet, it's the challenge for the week to sit down each night and have family dinners together. When you're there, ask your children about their day and what God has taught them that day. If we rise in the morning thinking God and go to bed at night thinking God, then we will naturally do this and all the other times of the day. So what happened to that lost generation? I think we see that they got comfortable. They didn't teach their children about God and all the things that God had done for them. It's easy to look at their story and think, how could they have not told their children about Moses leading them out of Egypt, or crossing the Red Sea, or the manna that fell from heaven? But we do those things now, don't we? A few years ago, my oldest son woke up with the whole right side of his face swelled up. We were petrified. We instantly got in the car, drove to Columbus to go nationwide. We didn't even mess around with around here. We went straight to the big guns. The whole way there, I was pleading to God, asking him to take care of Justin. I was praying to God for the wisdom for the nurses and the doctors who would be treating him. I was asking him to find answers. And I'm sure many of you have had similar moments. It is in these moments that we are relying on God so hard that we are most connected to him. So we got to the hospital, and we're rushed to the infectious disease floor because they have no idea what's going on. So my mind is going, spinning way out of control because... Now we think it's an infectious disease, some kind of rare disease or something. So I'm crying out more to God and saying, God, please help my son. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, we got an answer. What we thought was some rare disease or some major problem was an infected tooth. He had a minor procedure and he was all better. And that's amazing, right? God answered my prayers. I prayed for his health. What could have been a major disaster was something minor. But you know what? On the way home, you would have never guessed that I was so reliant on God so a few hours before. I had nearly forgotten what he had done for me and my family. It is imperative to keep God in the forefront of our minds where it's all too easy to forget what he has done for us. And even more so, we have to tell our kids. Because if we don't, they'll never know. And if we don't tell them about the goodness of God, the world would teach them to love everything that God hates. And guys, I know parenting is hard. I am right there in the trenches with you, and I'm fighting side by side. But there's good news. At the end of this book, the good guys win. So keep that in mind as you're digging out of whatever parenting battle you're currently in. And ultimately, remember that God sent your children home with you, your grandchildren, home to your family. Picture that. The God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who knows every hair on your head and every star in the sky, entrusted you to parent your children for such a time as this. Guys, God is on our side. And lastly, I know this message has been heavy, and you may be saying, it's too late, or where do I begin? I'm here to tell you it's never too late. And we begin by placing Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. So the worship band earlier played the song called The Blessing. The lyrics in it come indirectly from Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. As we close out this service, and as we pray, I want you to pray those lyrics in your mind. I want you to ask God for his favor, that it be upon you and a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and your children, and their children. Ask him for all favor upon all generations of your family because, guys, this is what it's all about. We cannot afford for another generation to not know the Lord. So as we close out service and as the worship band comes back up to pre- play, if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus Christ and make him Lord of your life, I'll be up front. Tony's up front. Scott's around. Deacons are All around. We would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Please do not wait because this generation needs us.